quarter weeks ago, everything was going great, but little did we know that a Chinese man was making a meal out of a bat. Then they shut down the borders and they shut down the bars and all the honky-tonks where we were picking guitars and the whole world became obsessed with giant cats. Now everybody hates that bitch Carol Baskin. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Cable Smith, welcoming everybody to the Lone Star Outdoor Show. That is Austin Foreman, that B-word, Carol Baskin's the name of that tune there. (laughs) Hope y'all are having a good day. Crazy times we live in, quarantine 2020. But you are tuned in to the Lone Star Outdoor Show, and it is a treat, a pleasure, and an honor to be talking, hunting, fishing, the great outdoors, And all that implies with you today, thanks for being here. Uh, Thanks to Dallas Safari Club, our title sponsor, as well as Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Polaris. We've got a great show lined up for you, and I'll tell you all about it momentarily. Uh, But first, man, I hope that you guys and gals are taking the time to get into the great outdoors. What in the world else is there to do when everything's on lockdown, right? Uh, I went down to... South Texas last week and had the best turkey hunt I've ever had. Literally uh, two birds down, stone cold double, five minutes into the first morning. And then uh, my buddy Chisholm Cook, a longtime hunting buddy, he got two birds on that day as well. So really a quick trip. I think we had three days blocked off and only needed one to get it done. Saw tons of nil guy. Uh, javelina everywhere, so many white-tailed deer, although they're looking a little rough because the drought down in that part of the world has been pretty bad. Um, thanks to my, my buddy Wendell Axton, uh, the outfitter down there, for showing us where he thought the birds were roosting and and uh, providing, facilitating a great hunting opportunity. And, uh, yeah, we did socially distance, that is for sure. Slept out under the stars as uh, neither one of us had any interest in staying uh, you know at a hotel or a lodge where you you just kind of can't control the germs to be honest so yeah it's a little bit of a dice roll you know uh, me assuming that Chisholm hasn't been exposed and him doing the same with with me Um, but my wife was like do you really have to go on this turkey hunt and I said well do you really have to go work at the hospital yes life goes on still have to go to work and turkey season six weeks, so daddy's got to go. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, we slept under the stars and uh, kept our distance from each other and woke up. We had this little uh, pet javelina that Lindell feeds uh, around camp. Just uh, He's got a trailer there with basically equipment. It's not something you can sleep in. Um, and so this javelina comes around, and it's on, geez, it's on his last legs, very old male javelina and I woke up in the middle of the night to this chomping sound I was like oh that javelina's getting something to eat no it was like a 170 pound boar hog 10 yards from me woke me up I said hey get out of here and took off and and 15 minutes later this is like at 2 a.m it comes back no fear of humans in fact it Chisholm and I are sleeping there on the ground 
didn't concern it at all, but kind of concerned me. I was like, told him to get out of here, beat it again. Comes back third time. After this, I just went and got the shotgun loaded with uh, Kent TK7 turkey load, uh, penetrator turkey load. When he came back the fourth time, man, I let him have it, turned my headlamp on, and boom, dead hog. <laughs> so I actually ended up killing two hogs, and uh, we got four turkeys. Awesome trip. Hope you all are getting into the great outdoors as well, like I said. Um, what's on the show for today? Cool stuff. We've got Corporal Justin Rokel, uh, who had both legs blown off in Afghanistan. Uh, he's going to join us and talk a little bit about what it was like over there, his recovery and healing and how hunting has been a big part of that. Um, he is a hardcore hog hunter, loves chasing them with dogs, and does it all on prosthetics, which definitely has disadvantages. But uh, certainly excited to have the Purple Heart recipient join us today. So we're going to spend the, the entire broadcast visiting with Justin. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. And when you talk about someone who's inspiring, has a positive outlook on life, that is Justin. Um, so anyway, he'll be joining us momentarily. Let's do a quick giveaway. I've got, uh, what do we have today? I've got a Lone Star Ag Credit Shotgun Sleeve camo blind bag and cap we'll give this away let's just say uh email the word gobbler that's gobbler to lone star outdoors show at gmail.com uh, also we lost a good one this week rip john prine we'll be right back with corporal justin rokel on the lone star outdoors show I'm Craig Boddington. I'd like to invite you to become a member of Dallas Safari Club, one of the world's leading hunting and conservation organizations. As a member, you'll receive Game Trails magazine, a monthly newsletter, and invitations to our monthly meetings and special activities. Join Dallas Safari Club, an international organization based in Dallas, supporting hunting and conservation worldwide. For more information, call 800-9-GO-HUNT or visit our website at www.biggame.org. It's 5 a.m. when I meet my brother down at the front gate. He's already there with his shotgun loaded, even though he stayed up late. No time for coffee because the sun will be coming up soon. And we've got to get a move on before these birds start singing their tune. Always one of my favorites for turkey season. Leave it at the front gate. Our good buddy Justin Bowerman bringing us back on the Lone Star Outdoor Show powered by Dallas Safari Club. Cable Smith here with you today. Thanks to Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Polaris. Thanks to you guys and gals for being here. As we are about to speak to a real-life hero, Corporal Justin Rokel, Purple Heart recipient, uh, penned by President Bush at the time. Uh, also a passionate hog hunter, and that's kind of how we got hooked up. And He's lived an interesting life, and I feel compelled to, I don't want to say give back because really I'm, I'm not giving Justin anything here other than uh, letting him share his story on the program. And so really it's an honor for me more than anything else to, uh, to have Corporal 
Rokul joining us today. And we're going to get into that conversation uh, momentarily. But first, this segment brought to you by Dallas Safari Club, the worldwide leader in big game conservation. Here's why I'm a member, because they put their money where their mouth is as an organization time after time. And the club is based in the belief of these three things, education, hunter's rights, and conservation. If those are things that strike a chord with you, I'd encourage you to become a member. Go to biggame.org for more info. We'd love to have you. With that being said, let's bring him on right now. Corporal Justin Rokel joining us from somewhere in South Texas. It is great to have you on, brother. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. You've been, uh, you've been stacking up any hogs this week? Yeah, well, um, by myself, you know, we're in the in the the COVID lockdown. But yeah. yes, sir, I've uh, I got three this week, uh, just hunting hunting brush in the mornings, and I can't currently go to work right now because it's uh, uh, they call it mission critical out there. If you're not part of part of that, then sales guys aren't part of that. So yeah, so I'm just at home on my phone anyway. So I've so, been getting getting some good hunting. So what do you do for a living? I'm a salesman in the oil field. We're on the completion side, so the coil tubing and the workover rig side. But uh, we uh, we help coil tubing units and the motors get down hole. Uh, we work for a bunch of oil and gas companies in the South Texas and West Texas area. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, gas prices are, I, I don't remember them being this low. Uh, certainly, high school, I think, was the last time I ever saw gas under a dollar. You know, we haven't gotten quite to that point, but it's getting it's getting down there. Which yeah. uh, I, I, I had a weird feeling filling my tank up yesterday. I was happy and sad. <laughs> it's it's odd, right? Because <laughs> yeah, yes, everyone likes paying less for gas, but at the same time, when gas is more expensive, usually the economy is doing better. So, yes, uh, yeah, I would I would rather pay more and and still <laughs> have all my sponsors yeah. sending those checks. You know? Yeah, it, it's kind of weird that OPEC and uh, and. Uh, well, Saudi Arabia and Russia kind of pulled this right during the, the COVID crisis. Yeah. But and it kind of helps if you're not going to work. You know, you're paying less at the at the pump at least. Mm-hmm. That, that is true. Silver lining there. Um, yeah. <laughs> so uh, where where are you from originally? Uh, Orange Grove, Texas. I was actually born in El Campo, and uh, I've lived in Zapata and a couple other places, but mostly uh, from Orange Grove area. Uh, it's Corpus Christi is about let's say 40 miles east of us. Mm-hmm. So not too far. If we go to dinner, that's where we go. Right. Okay. Yeah. I've, uh, I've spent a lot of time in, in Corpus Christi. One of my college buddies, uh, his, his family's from the Portland area. Good fishing. Done, oh yeah. We've done a lot of fishing up in the, uh, Laguna Madre and all the way up to Baffin, a lot of great wade fishing up there. So familiar with that part of the world and, and El Campo, man, there's some great duck hunting there too. We did an early teal hunt there last year in the rice paddies and whew, we wore them out oh yeah yeah I, I love going through there you got a you got an interesting story no doubt about that um first of all i want to say thanks for your service thank you sir i appreciate that yeah and and so tell us when and where you were deployed uh well i was in uh iraq in 07 and then uh we got back from there and deployed pretty much immediately to seven months from when i got back from iraq i was sitting in Afghanistan in oh, wow. uh, 2008. Yes, hmm. sir. Uh, we didn't know it at the time, but that was part of that kind of surge that uh, President Bush at the time had 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 ordered. We didn't, <laughs> when we went over there, we thought we were going to be training like Afghan army and police and stuff like that, but uh-huh. to 
our surprise, we were doing a push. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so what was your, what were you actually doing then? Um, they split us up into platoon size elements and gave us all areas that hadn't been uh, previously taken by Americans or British or uh, Canadian, anybody that had been there prior. Mm-hmm. Uh, and from, from 2008 to I think 2012, pretty much it was, it was the hot spot. It kind of shifted from, we didn't, we never really heard anything about Afghanistan. Everything was Iraq, Iraq, Iraq. So we didn't really know what to expect. I didn't, I was a, a point man team leader and I didn't even have a GPS. I had to, Call my mom as soon as they told us in Afghanistan that we were actually going to be working, working, working. That uh, you know she had to run to academy and send me one, so which helped a lot. Nice. But I got it like a day before we stepped off too. So wow. And so what is that point, man? What is the what is the job responsibilities that uh, uh, encompass that well, position? The, the the LT the platoon sergeant would come up with some sort of. The way we split it up is each squad had like eight hours uh, operation up or uh, patrolling or whatever we were going to be doing that day, raid, uh, supplies, anything outside the wire. That was there was an eight hour shift for one squad, mm-hmm. while the other squad was on a eight hours quick response force. So that was also a time to like crash out for a little bit. And uh, if you weren't if you weren't having to to go out and help anybody, and then the other eight hours was a uh, post. Mm-hmm. So that that's kind of how we split it up. So. For our eight hours for my squad, they would they would give our squad leader um, something you know that they wanted him to do for eight hours. Sometimes the squad leader would just come up with it, and then uh, he would give me some some grids, and I would come up with our our route mm, on how okay. to get there and how to get back, uh, some Plan B routes, you know. And I, I I logged all that to make sure we weren't stepping to the same places, going through the same fields or uh, markets or anything like that. So so basically, uh, everyone is is counting on you. To get them there and back safely. Well, well, it, it's a definitely a team thing. Everyone's counting on everybody over there, yeah. for, for sure. Uh, and I, I was a machine gunner by trade, but when we get over there, they split us up into to kind of anything. So my my point team was a machine gun team, and also had uh, uh, two two senior guys as as the the point men. So it was a, it was definitely as far as you know. Uh, You're the navigator. The point team goes. Yeah, it's navigator, but. But they they definitely helped out our uh, our lead point man uh, Yababin. He uh, he actually ended up uh, when I'll, we'll get to that later I guess. But when when I did get blown up, our AT4 cooked off in the back and something happened when it exploded and he lost circulation in his left arm for a long time. But huh. but he was really good at finding IEDs. Yeah. I mean, uh, he just had a knack for it. I do want to know how hot it was in Afghanistan or if it was hotter in Iraq. Iraq, I remember days where it was, you know, in 120s uh, in Iraq. I don't remember it getting that hot in Afghanistan, but it was hot. It's huh. a real dry heat. It's like being in, uh, if you've ever been in like uh, Nevada, yeah, out out that way. Uh, and it's a desert, so if you if it's hot during the day, it's going to be cooler or you know cold at night. So if you go out with no layers on, and then you're coming back and it's you know midnight, you're freezing freezing your tail off, and then vice versa. If you go out early in the morning and come back when the sun's up, well, then you got, you know, all this extra, extra layers on and you're sweating. And so how, like how many pounds of gear do you generally, are you generally oh, carrying? Oh, it was uh, probably 130 pounds, somewhere around there. God bless. And I think, you know, hauling 75 pounds of elk meat's a bad deal. <laughs> it, <laughs> it, it's rough. And we think it's bad in the States, but most of the time when we're doing hikes and stuff like that, we don't have real ammo. So, yeah. You know, we're, we're hauling everything else, and they try to pack it down with extra stuff, but it really wakes you up when you get over there. 
Mm. And I'm glad we, glad we did all those humps. Yeah, <laughs> you know? man. But, uh, and that's that's what we mostly did. Uh, I every time I got blown up, it was in a in a vehicle. Uh, I never never did get blown up on on the ground. I preferred being on the ground because you could you know uh, you had more eyes watching than just the two people sitting in the front seat and the uh, you know the turret gunner. So, and you can walk in each other's footprints where if, if you're out in vehicles, it gets a little harder. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, 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 you know, and sense. a lot of those IEDs in Afghanistan were weighted for, you know, a thousand pounds because they were trying to hit vehicles. So a lot of times if we did step on something, it wouldn't, we wouldn't have enough weight for it to go off. Did you ever step on one that didn't go off? All, all the time. All of us did. All really? Of us did. Uh, yes, sir. And you, you just feel it give a little bit. Like the guy was telling you about your bobbin. I remember this happening to him three or four times in one night. Uh, where it was just, you know, it got to where it was uh, not comical or anything like that, but it was like, oh, yeah, Ubaba stepped on another IED, you know? God, see, I never knew, I, this is something that's totally foreign to me, um, that you could step on these things and them not go off, and they're intentionally designed to blow up uh, Humvees. Yes, sir. Yeah, it, it's when you look at the overall scheme of what, what they were trying to do in both countries is uh, really break our economy, so they can do a lot more dollar work when they take out a Humvee and, you know, then we got to try to get try to get another one out there, or it limits us to dismounted, so we're not being able to go out as far. Mm-hmm. Wow! We had a graveyard of trucks <laughs> out there that were just destroyed. Man. Uh, man, we made stuff out of it. I mean, after I had already got blown up, uh, actually, so President Bush had had, give, had came down and gave my Purple Heart to me, and he asked kind of what we needed and stuff. He goes, you know, uh, some different food would be cool out there because you know it's just a platoon sized element out in the middle of nowhere. I mean, we had. Uh, it's a place called Bakwa in Farah province. It's right right next to Iran, uh, probably a two-hour drive from Iran if, if you just went straight across. Uh, mm. But I, he, he randomly sent him a bunch of steaks. He airdropped a ton of steaks to him. And so they took one of those grills that actually got blown up in uh, that, that were in the back, and they used it as, like, dusted boots off and stuff like that. They made a barbecue pit out of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, something good came out of that truck. Oh, man. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, so so what do you remember? What were you doing specifically on the day that you got blown up, and and what, what do you remember? Well, um, the the what had happened previously kind of built up to what what we were doing that day. Uh, I think you, so you got blown day. up multiple times. Oh yeah, yes, I, I got yeah. Everybody got get blown up, you know, especially in Afghanistan and. and 08 and then 2010, you know, there were just so many IEDs. There was nothing to find 25, you know, 30 IEDs a day. Hmm. Uh, yeah, they, they were everywhere. But we had just lost a squad leader, two team leaders, and we lost four guys total. And then one had to, he was uh, uh, wounded in action. He wasn't killed in action. But right right previous to that, so everyone kind of had to step it up. You know, people that weren't team leaders last week or team leaders this week. Uh, hmm. A lot of the senior guys, we just started rotating different squads. Um, I wasn't even with my squad when when I got blown up. Uh, we worked together all the time, so we knew everybody. But uh, me and uh, Sergeant Rhodes and Crow, one of my guys, uh, we and uh, Doc Burnett, and we had I think two corpsmen on on that trip. But we just started volunteering for every outside the wire trip, uh, just so somebody can rest, basically. Then hmm. uh, we only work in a two size element. You know, there's there's you lose two team leaders and a and a squad leader. That's pretty pretty rough trying to replace those guys in country. Yeah. Uh, but anyways, we were doing a, a, a we had some supplies coming in and we went out to escort them. And on the way out there, we were just in the middle of a, a 
kind of a field, but it had a wadi in the middle of it. But you couldn't really, if you were just gazing across, you wouldn't be able to see it just because everything's sand out there, uh, kind of that moon dust sand. And that, and that's one of the reasons we couldn't see it. In Iraq, they had ant trails and stuff like that that lead up to an IED that you can kind of tell, hmm. tell something's going on or a bunch of trash built up with that moon dust. All they'd have to do is dig a hole, bury their pressure plate, the IED, and then walk away. And the wind would naturally cover that up within you know, mm-hmm. a couple hours, maybe a day, but not no time at all. And there was nothing really to tell that that ground was disturbed. Uh, and anyways, we, we ended up hitting a pretty good size IED. I've heard different things on what it was. Uh, I've heard it was a double stack anti-tank mine with a propane tank. And I heard it was 120 pounds of what some sort of HE that they had, probably uh, artillery shells or something like that with a propane tank on there. But uh, I remember flying through the air, really. Uh, I, I I didn't hear it. You know, all you hear is bing. And just uh, kind of, if you ever get ringing in your ears, it's that times like 100. And uh, I was just flying through the air. And I remember in my peripherals, peripherals, I could see, you know, the Humvees down there and they were getting smaller. And uh, I remember thinking if, if I went forward at all, I'm going to land because I was a turret gunner at the time when I, when I got blown up. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking I was going to hit my, my Mark 19 barrel. And that would probably kill me. Uh, but I didn't. Uh, next thing I know, I, I landed on the engine block. The hood had been taken off. And uh, our, our corpsman, uh, sadly, Dr. Burnett, he, he passed away. Uh, and then the two guys, uh, Anthony Villarreal was driving. And then uh, Joe Purim, who's a, a cop in Minnesota now, he was uh, the, the vehicle commander at the time, the team leader on that one. And... Uh, they both suffered severe, severe injuries. Anthony is uh, one of the big spokesmen for Wounded Warrior Regiment. You might see him on some of the commercials mm-hmm. and stuff like that. But uh, he's, he's, he's doing great now, and, and so is Purim. But, uh, but they were on fire, so the guys put them out, and someone saw. I couldn't move anything. I was basically paralyzed for a little bit. I had no gear on. I landed without my Kevlar, uh, without my helmet, and without my uh, my flight jacket with my, my savvy plates and everything. It just, I guess, on the impact, something just, just ripped it off. They did end up finding half of it uh, that was pretty burned up, and but they could tell it was half of a flak jacket. I don't know if that was mine or if that was ever truly recovered. Mm. But I landed on the engine block, and everything was, you know, real hot, uh, burning around me. And someone finally was able to move my hand a little bit and just kind of wave. And uh, our corpsman, Dr. Lejo, and uh, my squad leader, Jeff Rhodes, uh, came over there and grabbed me and pulled me out. And then I, I was told about six hours later the the helicopter got there what, what's kind of crazy on that is is you know we're in the middle of afghanistan and i get on the second chopper to put me on there on my on my journey and uh the guy starts talking to me like he knows me and i'm thinking you know this guy's just trained to do so and he's got this huge beard so i can't i can't see his face and i'm in and out of it um they, they really thought i had internal bleeding so I, I was no morphine no no anything because if i did have internal internal bleeding that would have killed me but uh the, the guy who's on there keeps talking to me like he knows me. And he goes, Loco, you don't remember me? I'm thinking, man, who is this guy? And he's like, it's uh, Ronnie Heflin from uh, Banchetti. We went to the same church together, and it just hit me instantly. Wow. And this new Afghanistan, and the guy that, that's saving me right now is someone I went to church with when I was a kid. Huh. That's he incredible. didn't even know he was in the military. And I think he's still in. I think he's in Alaska right now. But Wow. Yeah. Great guy. I, I, I hit him up every uh, anniversary. I try to. And, he promised him beers, but he's never he's never in town. He stays going. Okay, I think we're gonna we're gonna take a, a quick break here, Justin. You've been blown up essentially at this point and haven't really had a chance to assess the magnitude of your injuries. 
and how that's going to affect life in general and your love for the great outdoors going forward. So you're cool to stick around for a few more minutes, right? Yeah, yeah, thanks. Good deal. And that segment brought to you by Lone Star Ag Credit. You know, land, it's the one thing they're not making anymore, but we all want it, whether that's for recreating, running cattle, hunting, fishing, or just to get the hell out of the big city. Let Lone Star Ag Credit make that dream your reality. They've been doing it for over 100 years. You can find them at LoneStarAgCredit.com. We'll be right back with more from Corporal Justin Rogel on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. British Columbia is world-renowned for its beauty and wildlife, and Vancouver Island is revered as a magical place by hunters. Vancouver Island Coastal Bear Adventures specializes in taking mature trophy black bears with 18-inch minimum skulls in the 6.5 to 7.5-year range. They also have Roosevelt elk tags and only take Boone and Crockett bulls each fall. 60% of their guiding area is located on private land. So whether you're looking for a Boone or black bear, once-in-a-lifetime Roosevelt elk, or a giant cougar, They've got the hunt for you. Visit VancouverIslandBearHunt.com to book your hunt today. That's VancouverIslandBearHunt.com. Howdy, folks. I'm Lee Hoffair for Hoffair's Outdoor Superstore in Gulfway, Texas. I hope you're enjoying the Lone Star Outdoor Show. We've been a title sponsor for a number of years now, and we're proud to be a part of it. I'd also like to thank you for making Hoffair's once again the number one Polaris dealer in Texas. In the market for a compact track loader, then check out the Bobcat Advantage, where Bobcat track loaders squared off against other brands in a variety of tests and challenges. Whether you're looking for performance advantages, uptime protection, or quality design, Bobcat compact track loaders are the best-built machines in the industry. But don't take our word for it. Watch the videos at BobcatAdvantage.com or see Bobcat machines in person at Bobcat of North Texas in Louisville, Fort Worth, Cedar Hill, Longview, McKinney, Paris, and Sherman. Visit BobcatOfDallas.com today. Hoorah, Semper Fi, do or die, hold them high at eighth and I. Got a resorting R. Lee Ermy here. Thanks for listening to the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Hoorah. Flashback to Fallujah, lost another best friend. Three tours of duty and you're wondering when it's all gonna end. Bodies broken and bone shattered, blood and dust in your mouth. There's little Slade Cleves still fighting the war, bringing us back on the Lone Star Outdoor Show, powered by Dallas Safari Club. Cable Smith here with you today. Thanks to Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Polaris as well, our presenting sponsors. Uh, thanks to you for being here as we are visiting with a real-life hero, a Purple Heart recipient corporal, Justin Rokel, this morning. Um, before we continue with his amazing story, um, this segment is proudly brought to you by All Seasons Feeders and the Little Squealer Hog Light. It's perfect. You set it up on your feeder. It's got uh, motion sensors and LED lighting. When the hogs come in, you're sitting there, and they don't stand a chance. It's only $59.99. You can find the Little Squealer at allseasonsfeeders.com. Well, Justin, I certainly appreciate you sticking around through the break, man. We are picking it back up here as you have been basically blown up while deployed to Afghanistan. Um, so at this point, what is going through your mind and have you had a chance to survey the damage to your body? Well, uh, both my legs were, were if, if you picture yourself laying down, both my legs were uh, 
was bent the other way. Like your knee naturally bends, you know, down, I guess you'd say they were both bent back towards me. Hmm. And my, my left leg had a, had a huge piece of shrapnel in it. And I, I could see that. So pretty much right then I figured my legs were done. Um, I was having a lot of trouble breathing. I didn't know it at the time, but one of my ribs had broken and went through a lung. And then, uh, you know, I, I had shattered my back. I didn't know that. I just knew that I couldn't really move very good. Uh, and I, I compound fractured both femurs, both hips, and uh, my legs were pretty much destroyed. They tried keeping my legs for a little bit just to see if they could pick up some circulation. I don't know how, but these magic doctor wizards <laughs> got kind of fixed. I had, I had a bunch of metal fixators. They look like halos with uh, rods going through. Mm-hmm. And they, they tried for a few days, and finally they told me, you know, it's not looking good and basically that the sooner they took on the sooner i could start my recovery so and i think within a few hours we uh we went ahead and took them that was in bethesda maryland uh but i after, right after i got hit they moved all of us to uh i think it was uh, a hospital in kandahar and we were there for a little bit and they immediately moved uh pyramidville into uh to san antonio they flew them i think direct uh, over there or not direct but uh as direct as they can and then they, they, they were chemically, uh, what do they call that? Uh, coma. Oh, medically induced into a coma. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Yes. Sir. Uh-huh. And so they were. I know these my things because my wife is a nurse practitioner, so I hear her talking about these kind of trauma. She's in the trauma unit at a hospital here in Dallas. So. Oh, I bet. I bet she is working her tail off right now. Uh yeah. And do you think that our kids ever get to ride bikes without helmets? <laughs> no. Heck no. No. <laughs> no, no, no. I bet she sees that every day. Yeah, and she's like, "You will never have a motorcycle." Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> make sure that we went to the deer lease last week, and she's like, "Make sure those kids are buckled up in the in the UTV." I'm like, "Okay, gosh, ruin our fun." <laughs> I've met more amputees from motorcycle accidents than anything else. A friend of mine, uh, he's a crazy, crazy, crazy kid. He's actually graduated, but he ended up playing football and basketball and everything. But he lost his leg above the knee on a uh, on he, he, uh, one of those little John Deere gators, I guess. I mm-hmm. think John Deere. He mm-hmm. rolled one on accident and mm-hmm. ended up having to amputate it. But I meet more guys like that than I did from you know uh, combat injuries or anything. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Well, so so they uh, lots they, of motorcycle accidents with amputees. Oh yeah, she sees a lot of that stuff there. So, um, you're you're moved to this hospital in Maryland. That's where they end up taking your legs. What and I know this is very personal, but what are you thinking? What's your mindset at that time? Well, is it, is it, I'm just glad to be alive or are you bitter or angry? Also, I was so sad that I couldn't be with the guys. Cause I knew that, that, that you know, that they, they still had four more months over there, you mm-hmm. know, and I knew it wasn't going to get any better. So I knew they had to do all that. And then, you know, like I said, we had already lost a bunch of guys now on top of the two team leaders and a squad leader and the, the two gunners we lost, we lost, uh, uh, another corpsman we lost uh uh another two team leaders me and, and joe you know uh, a lot of stuff happened after that you know our, our corpsman ended up getting sailor of the year for it because he ended up he, he saved us but uh that took a toll on him he, he ended up passed out for just exhaustion they found him on, on the way to a post uh the next day and uh ended up chipping him back or my staff sergeant out there ended up having a heart attack mm-hmm. right right around that time you know it just it was, it was a stressful time and then here i am sitting Sitting cozy in in Bethesda, Maryland, and shaking Maryland, shaking hands with the president, and hmm. you know they're they're still in it. Hmm. That's pretty yeah. selfless, to be honest with you. I uh, I imagine I'd be pretty bitter, pretty angry. I don't know. I guess you can only uh, experience that once it happens, but it's 
it's amazing to see how positive you were there and thinking about other people when your legs are being taken. Yes, sir. What What's crazy about that is, is you know, uh, I had to go through that again because my, my best friend, he's like a little brother to me, he joined the Marine Corps like the day before I got blown up. He ended up deploying to Afghanistan. Uh, so we're, we're from a small town, Orange Grove, like 1,200 people. But mm-hmm. He ended up deploying with 3-5, he ended up getting killed. And that that was just... That I, that to me was worse than ever losing my legs or, or anything like mm. that. You know, just one the helpless feeling being back at home. You know, working in the old field while he's over there in the, you know, excuse my language, but mm-hmm. and then for that to happen to him, you know, that was that was way worse than ever, anything that ever happened to me. You know, mm. what's next? What are, what are you being told about rehabilitation? Will you get prosthetics? Will you be able to walk again? Um, what's going on at this point? I, I knew that, that my main problem was my back uh, and that, that injury and my hip injury was probably going to be what, what held me back the most. And it was uh, after tweaking my back a little bit and after tweaking my hip a little bit, uh, it was probably, I think a year or so after, after I'd been uh, blown up where I could, I could, I had the, enough force to stand up when you're, when you're in bed like that for months on end, just because of your, your legs, you're you're going from a bed to a wheelchair, and the only time your 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 torso and your your hips get to stretch out at all is is when you're like in a pool or something, you know, mm-hmm. where where it's it's pretty crazy swimming for the ver- swimming for the first time without legs, uh, you about drowned every time. <laughs> <laughs> I got that figured out now, I dive and stuff like that, but that that was really really a nerve. I, I went straight to the bottom thinking I was going to land on my feet and just nailed both my nubs, you know, that were. <laughs> Not, not freshly stitched, but pretty sore still. You uh-huh. know? <laughs> uh, just screaming on the water. Oh, dude, but, I had, uh, uh, I had, and this pales in comparison, but I had this nerve damage cut out of my, my right foot a year and a half ago. And you think about something that you're walking on every day, and, and that foot a year and a half later is still sore. Like it, it really? hurts to touch. Yeah, oh, yeah. So I think it's just because of the part of the body that it's on, you know, unless you sit there or an active. I just don't think it ever really fully heals because you walk on it every day. So, yeah, I don't know. Pales in comparison to having your legs blown off, no doubt. Well, yeah, well, I, I tell everybody it's all it's all relevant to the time. You know, everything hurts. When I did get get blown up, I didn't feel any pain for a long time. Hmm. Uh, I, I was instantly in shock. I knew I was messed up. I could see myself messed up. And I knew that because of how paralyzed I felt that I, I knew my body was pretty wrecked. But I... I, I, I felt like I was just sitting there gorging in pain after about hour four, I guess on the ground, you know, then it, it really started, started setting in more. But, uh, as soon as I got in the helicopter, they, they hooked me up with a bunch of meds and I was pretty much out of it. So I got to Germany when I, when I woke up in Germany, they had already fixed my back. Uh, I did like that at that time, I didn't know my back was, was, was messed up. In mm-hmm. fact, I, I, my mom, I finally got to talk to her and I kept telling her that I had this major back surgery and I guess the Marines weren't telling her that or they were missing that on the relay. So she kept, she thought I was just hallucinating because of the morphine. Like, no, Justin, you're fine. You're back. Okay. It's just the legs. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I'm pretty sure that <laughs> might be right. I am hallucinating, but I'm pretty sure my back has a bunch of metal in it now. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Well, so, yeah. so, so they tell you, you know, you're going to get fitted with prosthetics and after your back and, and your hip finally well, decide to cooperate. Uh, Yes, sir. After your surgery, they give you three months to heal up, like 90 days, and then they'll start fitting you. And, and uh, when you're first amputated, the biggest deal is wearing uh, pressure socks. 
because it, it'll start sizing your nubs up. It's really, really weird, and I don't know the science on it, mm-hmm. but they're these really tight socks that start start compressing your leg down to a, a fittable size. Mm-hmm. And so, um, because it, it's so touch and go. If you're say you weigh 140 pounds when you get fitted, if, if you come come back and try to put those on when you're 155 pounds, you're not going to be able to get it on. You know, so uh, they try to get. I, I guess because of the swelling and inflammation and stuff like that, they start using these. these and they they prefer that you do that for I think at least a year, just constantly using compression compression socks hmm. uh, to get that down. But after three months, they start fitting you. I was walking and stuff with crutches and and with um, uh, uh, canes, like the double canes, but I just couldn't straighten my back up enough to to do it on on my own. Uh, but once once that I got enough muscles in my torso to, to do that again. I mean, I, I was probably 135, 140 pounds when I got blown up, and I got down to I know at least 90 pounds for a while. So I was I was pretty weak. I lived off fluids for I think seven, eight weeks. Mm. Wow. Um, uh, there wasn't there wasn't much of me. It took me a while just to get my weight back to where I was at a realistic place where I could at least fit for one. You know, because they knew mm-hmm. I wasn't going to stay under 90 pounds forever. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, and then what's kind of crazy about Bansky, uh, Brooks Army Medical Center, they got the Center for Intrepid, which is just an awesome place, but they have this rock wall. And back then you didn't get your legs. So you could climb up that rock wall with no legs on. So just, just arms. So they work you into the ground over there, building up your upper body. Cause I mean, it, you're wearing your legs, but even me, I'm in my wheelchair a lot at night and stuff like that, giving my legs time to rest for the next day. Mm-hmm. And so if, if, my, if your upper body is not you'll have some strength in there. You won't be able to pick yourself up off the ground into your wheelchair, off your wheelchair into the shower or the toilet or, you know, mm-hmm. wherever, wherever, wherever that might be. So they really work on, on building your upper body over there. Uh, it's one of the best burn, burn wards, I think, in the world. Uh, Did you suffer severe burns? No, none. That's what's crazy. And I went through a, a panel that was on top of my roof for the turret, and I had no no head in. Like, I mean, I, I think I had a little bit of that. Uh, TBI, and sometimes I'll, I'll forget a few words here and there, like you know, easy words. I'll catch up a little bit, but for the most part, no, no head injuries and no burns. Hmm. Uh, my arms were fine too, and my neck, which I never figured my neck would be all right. But I remember even days or when I when I was snapped out of it in Germany, uh, my neck wasn't sore, my arms weren't sore, my whole body was just like annihilated. But but arms, torso, and head just fine. Hmm. Hmm. You know, no uh, nothing to my face. Uh, eyes are fine, nose mouth ears still still a handsome fella yeah that's right that's a, one of my buddies Pierum, he was with me he, he lost his ear and these dentists made him a ear and they implanted these magnets inside of his skull and this ear flaps on and we're always you know jacking with each other he'll, he'll be talking i'll wrap that sucker off hey man can you hear me put it up to my, my mouth <laughs> <laughs> so he's always trying to get me to donate an ear i'm trying to get him to donate a leg <laughs> <laughs> Uh, uh, he's a cool dude he's, he's actually he's working his tail off right now too uh he's a uh, cop in minneapolis i think he's on the junior swap team now too hmm. well, let's do this um, um let's let's take a quick break we'll come back we'll, we'll continue down this path and, and also talk a little hunting sound good yes sir excellent and that segment brought to you by stealth cam and the ds 4k camera offering 4k quality video and images that's right Uh, It's the only one on the market with 4K technology. You can find the DS4K at StealthCam.com. We'll be right back with more from Corporal Justin Rokel right here on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Now the old folks will remember on that dark and dismal day how their hearts were churned. 
Hi, Brett Jepson here with Three Curl Lease Connection. I'd like to invite you to come enjoy some of Texas' best dove hunting just minutes outside of Dallas. We have many private dove leases available for this upcoming season, including milo, wheat, sunflower, and cornfields. Leases come in different sizes and prices, so we can fit anyone's budget. We have the lease that's perfect for you and your group. We don't overcrowd multiple groups into one property, and you'll have the first pick at renewing your lease for years to come. Please visit us at 3curl.com and click on leases for your property listings. That's T-H-R-E-E-C-U-R-L.com. Those two young Marines over there fighting for their country. Man, they're going to be friends forever. Well, they both come back eventually, but as bombs and destiny would have it, they don't come back together. Yeah, the one who lived to tell about why he can't even talk about it Keeps fighting that fight up there in his head And a day goes by, he don't wonder why Why it wasn't me instead It could have been me instead That's a man, little Jack Ingram, bringing us back on the Lone Star Outdoor Show Cable Smith, right shotgun with you today, thanks for being here As We are visiting with... Uh, Real-life hero, Justin Rokel, um, joining us from South Texas today. Double amputee, was hit by an IED while serving in Afghanistan. And we'll continue with Justin's story, his recovery, and, and his passion for hunting momentarily. But first, this segment, proudly brought to you by Lone Star Beer, the national beer of Texas. Grab a 12-pack. On your way to the crappie hole this spring and celebrate tight lines and full stringers with an ice-cold Lone Star beer. And with that being said, let's pick it back up here with Justin. I certainly appreciate you sticking around, brother. Yes, sir. It's not every day we get to chat with with a real-life hero, so it is uh, certainly... Oh, man, I know a few, but I I definitely ain't one of those. Yeah, well, I I disagree, and and, uh, it's great to have you on. Well, so... Once you get fitted with these legs, you, you know, you're able to climb that wall and they've decided you've got enough uh, upper body strength. You've been wearing these compression socks. Um, w- when do you come home and what is life like at that point? Well, uh, I, I'm, they gave me the choice in Bethesda if I wanted to go to Walter Reed or if I wanted to come down to San Antonio. And I, I picked San Antonio because it was so close to home. Yeah. It's probably an hour and 45 minutes from my house. Uh, so I was able to come home relatively quick with just, but I mean, my legs were stitched up and I had a back brace everywhere. So I remember the the first month after, you know, I, I was supposed to go home for like basically like 30 days and everybody gets it after you're able to go home for a while, they give you like 30 days to go home and heal up enough. You're doing light physical therapy and stuff at your house, but they just want you to everything to kind of heal up where they can, they can really start working on you when you get that. And I had one rule, don't get on a horse. <laughs> and I, I sit no picture, you know, my back is still jacked up, but I got those rods. So really it's just a pain thing, you know, and I got this, this back brace on and my buddies would put me on my horse and just cinch me down on, on each side on my back brace. And I've I, I healed most of the time, but I sent a picture of me healing in a rodeo and got lost. It. <laughs> but, but I was able to come home, you know, pretty quick. Hmm. Uh, it's just, I, I, I just lived in a wheelchair pretty much as far as coming home and doing stuff. It, it was probably at least a year before I started, really bringing my legs home uh you, you got to really know they they have to know you know what you're doing on those legs before they let you just bring them home because i mean if you fall you break your neck you're gonna fall anyway but you need to be prepared to fall and be able to, to at least make it on straight path and walk up the step and ramps and stuff like that 
before hmm. they let you take them home. So you got to earn the legs. They get like uh... you earn the legs for sure. Huh. Yes, sir. Wow. Wow. And there's plenty of people that that choose not to do that and choose the wheelchair, and I I don't I'm not I don't blame everybody has to make that decision. But, mm-hmm. but well, so, I, I think I hope everybody that that has a chance at walking does, you know, cause it's a way better life. What was the thing that you couldn't wait to to get back to doing the most? Oh, hunting for sure. I remember asking my physical therapist, "Hey, can I buy a couple coon dogs?" And he was like, "No, <laughs> <laughs> like, there's no way you're like gonna buy some coon dogs." I didn't got legs yet, and I'm thinking, you know, "I'm gonna be just killing these legs in two months," which I was very wrong. But I ended up thinking, uh, I start, that's why I started when I started back hunting with dogs. I, I just trained some coon dogs. I was in no way at that time ready to to be going hog hunting by myself and stuff like that. I mean, you gotta, it's it's dangerous on the dogs if you can't get there at least at some point, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah it, so, uh, and so how long how long from the accident to when you started hunting again? Well, I uh, I got discharged from the Marine Corps in two thousand. I I think it was end of 2009 is when they, they let me go. And I started working in the oil field and probably about a year or two after that, once, because for the first couple of years, every day, you just get a little better walking, walking, walking. That's where you really get better at, at, at walking on, on prosthetics, walking on these metal pylons, you know? Uh, mm-hmm. But that, that, that was the big thing for me. Just going to work, you know, really helped me out. And then once I, I knew I could handle hunting, you know, I have a lot of friends that hunt, but if I'm going to have dogs, they need to they need to be work. You know, I can't I can't wait on on friends that have living their lives to to be able to come. So yeah. once I knew I could do it by myself, uh, I started getting back into it. And what kind of dogs do you have? How many do you have now? Uh, I got nine, I think, right now. Uh, I I basically breed uh, hounds and cur crosses, a lot of plots and caterhulas together. For for me hunting by myself, I prefer just uh, to take a few dogs and nothing that's going to go in there and like. I want a dog that's going to run up and, and turn a hog, bite him on the ass, and, and get him to come around. But I don't want him to, to latch on where he's going to be getting cut, everything like that. I want him to kind of keep his distance. Mm-hmm. So I try to try to breed for that now. And uh, you don't like I the rough. In. You don't like the rough bay dogs. No, sir. Only because if and I have some catch dogs. So like especially if we're bringing kids and I have help, you know, it's way easier if that hog's caught for a kid to go in there and stab it and stuff. But if it's me by myself, I, it might. You know, I'm still on prosthetics, so it might take me a long time to get there. I'm coming, but mm-hmm. it's just how long it takes me to get there. And the longer it takes, that's why it's a big rush when they catch, you know, because that's when dogs start getting diced. So, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. And I, those rough I, dogs I, don't have a long lifespan, especially if you if you if if it takes you a little longer to get there. Yes, sir. And I, I'm not going to do that to them. So I uh, I just use dogs that ain't going to go in there and, and do that. Like I said they might like I, I, I got some videos and stuff where a hog has, you know, they'll, they'll break and come after me and my, my dog will run up there and bite them just to turn them around, you yeah. know, and then I'll try to get a good shot on them. And I try to get next to a mesquite tree or something because it, it's hard, though, in the South Texas because it's mostly we satch in there and brush. Oh, yeah. So you don't always have something to grab onto. But, uh, You've done a bit of deer hunting in that part of the world, no doubt. And uh, it's, yeah. uh, everything can bite you and cut you and scratch you down there. Yeah. It's hell on the dogs, too. I don't know how they do it, but they do. So imagine you have to snake proof these dogs. I mean, I know I took my lab through a, a clinic um, where they, it sounds terrible, right? To the non-hunter. Yeah. Or, but there's also people that don't hunt that take their dogs through these things. If you live somewhere where there's snakes and your dogs are outside, they need mm-hmm. to know, hey, that means danger. Don't go near it. So they, you know, they have the owner stand on one side and they, you call the dog and it's got a shot collar on and they just light it up when it goes near that snake trying to get to you. Yeah. 
And uh, yes, it, sir. We we try to do anything like that, especially when we'll see so many out in the, if, well, especially for hunting fields everywhere. So we can do we can do a lot of that on the on the job training too. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I still I probably get three or four bites a year, you know. Yeah. And not, not hardly any of them ever die. Most of them get hit in the head, and most of them, if if I see it fast enough, that I can, uh, if I have you know the stuff to, to treat them here, I will. But if, if not, get them to a vet. They all. They, they live for the most part. They're tough. There's no doubt. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so tough. It's, I've seen one one uh, one time I was doing it uh, hog dogging in Oklahoma, and it was literally in the 30s, and one of the dogs got tagged by a rattlesnake. It's like, what in the hell is a rattlesnake even doing out? Yeah. It was so cold. We couldn't even, we couldn't even believe it. Like, like, what is wrong with that dog? And then we were like, oh, man. And the, the dog's owner was like, I think he got bit by a snake. It's like, but it's too cold. But I guess he stuck his face in the wrong spot, and he got tagged. Dang. Well, so one of our other followers, Scott DeWitt, he's uh, active duty right now. He made a joke that, that you've always got your snake boots on. Oh, yes, sir. I, I hear that just about every day. <laughs> I see. I, I, I had never that heard one. that one. I, I it, You know, I know it's, you've got a, a good attitude about it. So it was, uh, in the oil field, I hear uh, wear your steel toes pretty much daily. <laughs> so, I, I'm wearing tennis shoes out there, but I'm still in coveralls, you know, but it, I mean, there's no point in me wearing a big old boot you know, to carry around and more uh-huh. weight. So a lot of times they'll mess with the, uh, the, one of the safety guys commented on that deal, but they'll mess with those guys and they'll tell, Hey man, that guy's out there in tennis shoes, you know, and they'll run up pissed off at me and I'll lift my, 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 uh, coveralls up and show that I'm no legs below the knee. <laughs> 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 uh, so, uh, it's, it's always funny. You know, I wish they made some coveralls that were already cinched up with shorts because it is easier for me to walk with with shorts on. Yeah, I don't know why. I think it's a mental thing, but if I can see my legs, I I just walk better. Uh, well, and if other people will, especially if you're at a bar or something like that, and you know how close it gets, and someone can see, oh, this guy don't have legs, probably a lot less kind to try and get by you real quick. You know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just saving a few balls for myself. <laughs> We're going to knock out a quick commercial break here. When we come back, we'll get Corporal Rokol's most memorable hunting experience post-accident. Plus, we'll find out if he's involved with any nonprofits dedicated to taking our wounded veterans on hunting or fishing-related trips. Um, so that's coming up next. That segment brought to you by First Light Sawbuck Pant. If you're hog-dogging with Corporal Rokol down in the brush country of South Texas, you're going to want the sawbuck protecting your legs in a place where Everything can bite you, cut you, scratch you, stick you. It's the Sawbuck. You can find it along with First Light's entire lineup right there at firstlight.com. First Light, go further, stay longer. We'll be right back with more from Corporal Justin Rokel on the Lone Star so Outdoor Show. daddy's name stitched across my chest. And now I can drop a man from about two clicks. I wonder if he's proud of me yet. Hey y'all, Chris Letzinger, online sales manager at Cinnamon Creek Ranch here, reminding you we're not your typical archery club. We're a one-of-a-kind archery facility with indoor and outdoor ranges, full pro shop, and six different 3D courses. Cinnamon Creek was designed by hunters for hunters. Located in Roanoke, Texas, we have over 200 3D targets to hone your archery skills. Call 817-439-8998 or visit us at cinnamoncreekranch.com to visit our new online store. That's cinnamoncreekranch.com. New orders came around 
us to take the higher ground and defend it with our lives. And I feared we'd pay a price, and my boys, they fell right in. They trusted me. That's Mickey and the Motor Cars, Lions of Kandahar, bringing us back on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Cable Smith here with you. We are still visiting with Corporal Justin Rokel, who served in Afghanistan. And, and I sent Justin a link to that song and asked him what he thought. Uh, said that uh, he really enjoyed it. So, hope you all did as well. And we're going to pick it back up with Justin. Talk a little hog-dogging, among other things, here in just a second. Uh, this segment, by the way, is proudly brought to you by Rustic Reminders Taxidermy. You know, Josh and Becky, Gunther, my good friends, uh, they've been taking care of all of my taxidermy work for going on a decade now. They do amazing work. Everything from uh, speckled trout from the Texas coast to giant eland from South Africa and everything in between. They offer quick turnaround time and they answer the phone when you call. Couple that with uh, amazing wildlife artistry, and you've got a winning combination. You can find them at gr8mounts.com. And now as we dive back into things here with Corporal Rokel, um, Justin, I did want to ask you if there are any nonprofits out there that you support that are, you know, whose sole function is to take wounded veterans on hunting or fishing trips. Uh, no, sir. I mean, I, I bring a bunch of buddies down, uh, to a bunch of my buddies from military and I do do some hunts with, uh, Hesseltine Kennels over there in Sinton. But, uh, no, the only nonprofits I try to, to help are, are the, my buddy that I'd mentioned earlier, Colton, that was from my town that ended up getting killed. He was a, a dog handler and ended up, the family got the dog back. Uh, but he has a foundation foundation called the Eli fund. And then Colton has the, um, uh, it's the Colton, Wesley Rusk Memorial Run. This year's the the ten year run. Yeah, yeah, they're they're great, great, great nonprofits that do do a bunch of good stuff. Well, and I was just curious because I've I've run into good ones and bad ones over the years, and and the ones that that I'm interested in supporting are the ones where the people that are overseeing and facilitating the nonprofit are not the ones going on the hunt. You know, too many times right. it's like, oh, we're taking so-and-so, but then the three officers from that nonprofit are also shooting a 170-inch deer. I'm just like, no, yeah. these people are donating money for you to take veterans. If you want to be yeah. there and be a part of it, fine, but you should not be the one pulling the trigger uh, by and large. And so I just, you know, I've tried to vet those out because I have one time I was to get burned by one. Not that it, you know, I say burned. I just found out I was supporting one that, and then the CEO was doing half the hunts himself. And I was just like, this is absurd. 
I probably know which one you're talking about, but I don't want to put anybody on blast. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure you do. Um, but there are so many that are doing great things, you know, and, and, uh, yeah, I think other thing that, and, and that's why I wanted to have the conversation with you before this, this interview to make sure you were comfortable because I feel like guys have a different attitude than you do and they don't want to talk about what happened to them. Um, and that's fine and we need to respect that. And I think that someone shoves a camera in front of their face a lot of the time and they're just expected in return for the hunt to, to spill their guts and they don't want to do that. And I think that they get exploited a little bit. Yeah. I don't I understand that, that too. I don't, I mean, I, I, you know, uh, I knew we were probably going to talk about that stuff when I, when I said yes to, to this, to the podcast. Uh, but one of the things that, that kind of helped me on that end is I grew up next to a double Vietnam, uh, vet. It was a double amputee my whole life mm. pretty much in Orange Grove. And so I, I grew, I mean, he told me all kinds of stuff all the time. I mean, and, and he was, kept his toes in a formaldehyde jar, you know, he's wild. <laughs> so I try to be that guy, you know, he was great. He was awesome. He, he was a mud engineer for like 30 years after that, you know, he would cut them mud sacks with a knife and then toss a, a knife into his wooden leg. <laughs> you know? Oh yeah. Just a hardcore dude. So that, yeah. that's kind of my, and, and he was still alive. He just passed away a few years ago, but he was still mm. alive when I got, when I got blown up. So talking to him about a lot of stuff really helped me yeah. a lot. And, and, you know, I mean, I don't, I'm just, trying to go out there and tell everybody my my story or anything but you know i think it might bring something to the cause like especially uh with colton's run and and the eli fund and stuff like that you know i'm glad to do it or hell anybody else that's uh, one of my best friends that i've duck hunted with for a decade uh he's diabetic he just had to have his foot amputated finally just got so infected and he's been battling with this one foot for 10 years and the doctors finally, right around Christmas, were like, "We have to take your foot off." And so, you know, if it can help anyone stay now? positive, do what? How's he doing now, though? Probably, probably a lot better. Uh, it, it's, I mean, it, it still is very painful for him. It is. Oh, yeah. Man. So, but he's he's positive. He's staying positive. So, hopefully, and he's a little older. He's about. He's probably I think Walter's fifty-two. Um, but yeah, he's a. He finally got a kidney transplant. So that. You know that was a good thing. He had that before the amputation, but uh, if it helps anybody that's gone through something similar, whatever it is, physical ailment, um, then I think it's it's worth sharing. What um what would you say has been your favorite hunt post accident? Post accident, I uh, I was I, I don't know what it is with the cosmos or whatever, but every year on my birthday, February 9th, I have a great hunt. I go out by myself and I kill it. I don't know. For the last six, seven years, it's been that way. But uh, two years ago, I, I my dogs had a huge hog, and I had like three or four dogs with me. They had a huge, and they they were they were running in there and trying to just keep his attention, but they were backed off. And I, that's how I knew he was big, is they were kind of hiding behind the brush a little bit. And as soon as I got got in, he saw me. He just charged me, and I, I got my Glock 40. And I just start unloading, and I reach up, and I don't, I, you know, there just happened to be a tree, and I held onto that sucker, and he was coming. You know, right, right at him. He was probably maybe two or three feet when I finally ended him. But those hogs, I mean, they can't, if you're not shooting them in the head or you know, somewhere where it counts, they'll, they'll take a shot like it's nothing. Yeah. And that was, that was a blast. You know, the <laughs> dogs were hurt, nothing like that. But I got a huge hog just laying in front of me, still breathing hot, pissed, you know, and I finally take my knife out and stab him. But that was, that's my, that's probably my favorite hunt since I've, I lost my legs. Awesome. 
I love it. So, yeah. I love it. <laughs> it, was a, it was a blast. I feel better if I could hang on to a tree just if they hit me. I could, you know, hang on to something where if he takes me down and it's just my prosthetic, I'm done. You know, <laughs> he's just going to drag me around like a Well, <laughs> yeah, but on the same token, at least if he hits your leg, he's not going to cut you. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. If he hit a very big one, I'll be all right. He's going to for a while while I reload. <laughs> uh, what, uh, what would you say is your bucket list hunt? If you could do uh, one thing anywhere, money no option you just get to go do it i don't know uh i mean hunting hogs so fun i've, I've always wanted to, to chase a lion or a bear with dogs not even like to necessarily kill one just to watch hounds or, or dogs i'm sure it's gonna be it would be hounds but uh i would that that would be my my bucket list hunt just to watch them run a bear or, or a, a lion it's it i've never done it with bears uh but i did do a cougar hunt in colorado it took me three trips um really about three dip three weeks yeah we had caught females but we weren't the outfitter was real particular and you know he's a conservationist and the last day of the second time we went he was like well we can put the dogs out on this track but he's i think it's a female and i was like well it's the last day let's just do it and they they caught this lion literally within 30 minutes and it was a female he he climbed halfway up the tree which i think is crazy to begin with he's climbing up the tree to get a real good look at the the cougars, private parts, essentially. Yeah. And uh, he's like, it's a female. I was like, man. And he's like, is this what you came here to do? You want to shoot it? And I was like, no. I'll come back again, <laughs> you know. So it is a rush, I, though. I bet it was still fun, though. Oh. You know? It's like. Looking up seeing a lion. You think when you get to the bay uh, with hogs, it's a rush. When you get to the tree with, with, a, with a cougar, it doubles. There's no doubt. Uh, and maybe it's just imagine. because you know, you know, I've never done that. If I did it all the time, maybe it would just be like hogs. I don't know, but uh, I love it all, man. Anything you can hunt with dogs just uh, oh, really yeah. gets it, me just, going. Just watch them work. It's crazy what they can endure and go through, and how much they love hunting. Mm-hmm. I've I've been talking a lot about this book lately that I've been reading. It's written by uh, Teddy Roosevelt. It's called Outdoor Pastimes of an American Hunter. And if you haven't read it, I, I encourage you to get it because. He talks about hunting cougars with dogs and killing the cougars with knives uh, and wolves also and bears. So, and this is when he and this is when he was president of the United States. He's, this is what he was doing for vacation. <laughs> they don't make them like that anymore. No, I wish they did. <laughs> yeah, they did. But yeah, check it out. Outdoor Pastimes of an American Hunter. I think it was published in like 1908 or something. Oh, I'll, no. I'll get that for sure. Stabbing them with knives. Yeah. How were they? Were they just knocking them out and then? But the dogs try to grab them, I guess. They had so they had uh, bay dogs, and then they had they didn't call them catch dogs, but essentially the same thing, and they were called fighters. And the fighters were always some kind of mixed breed with some kind of you know bulldog or mastiff or something like that. You know, same thing that we do with hogs today. Um, yes, sir. But yeah, they just called them the fighters, and the fighters got killed a lot, especially back then. Oh, so I imagine. Yeah, but a hell of a book. Um, and, uh, yeah, my brother gave me a second edition leather bound thing for Christmas and it was a really cool gift. I had no idea he was getting that for me. So, uh, great read though. And just to think that the president was doing that while in office just blows my mind. America. <laughs> America's right. Father of conservation, <laughs> Teddy Roosevelt, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. That guy, I didn't know that book was even uh, a thing. I can't wait to read it now. That's yeah. awesome. I knew he was a big hunter. Uh, oh yeah and conservationist you mm-hmm. know 
Yep, yep. I mean, that's how we got our, our national park uh, system, by and large, because of him. So we do owe a lot of uh, – we owe a lot as outdoorsmen to I, Legacy. I think he saved the NFL, too. The NFL? Yeah, I, I think he huh. he they were going to do away with it, and he he said, you know, that it was a good like military type training thing. I think that's what I what I read that huh. at one time. But yeah, he like saved the National Football League. I did not know that. Fascinating. Wild dude. Yeah. <laughs> no kidding. Well, man, we are uh, we're about out of time. I've certainly enjoyed the conversation today. It's been a, it's been a pleasure, a treat, an honor to have you on the show. And uh, thank you for having me, sir. And I will. And how we got connected was um, I don't know if it was because of those recent hog dogging trips I went on or what, but you'd sent me. Yeah. A, is that what it was? Yes, sir. Yeah. Yes, sir. And you had said, hey, I, I I have some dogs if you're ever in South Texas and you want to go. And I was like, well, I don't have plans to go down there anytime soon, but um, I, I kind of looked at your t- your Instagram pages two feet in the grave, and I'm yeah. looking. I'm like, oh, okay, so his he doesn't have any legs. And then we started talking. I was like, "So tell me what happened," and and you did. And I was like, "Well, if you if you're up for it, I'd love to have you on the show and and just have you tell your story." Yes, so. sir. Well, I I appreciate the offer, sir. It was uh, I, I was pretty nervous coming in, but it wasn't bad at all. <laughs> yeah, I, I knew you were. I, but you know, I told you it was uh, it, it's it's very easy and uh, no pressure. And yes, sir. Well, I, I I appreciate it. And, yeah, y'all give Justin uh, a follow. It's, it's two. Tell me, tell me how you uh, spell your your Instagram there. It's uh, uh, two F T I N and then the grave. So two feet in the grave is what it what it comes out. About a little clever. Lots of hog dog and stuff on there, and, and hog hunting too. So, yep, well, I appreciate it, Justin. Thanks again for your service and and for your time today. I look forward to actually taking you up on that sometime in the near future. Love to go hog dogging with you, brother. Anytime. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. All right, God bless. All right, there he goes, Corporal Justin Rokel. Hopefully you guys and gals found that uh, inspiring and as interesting as I did. A Purple Heart recipient, and, and like so many other veterans, especially those who've been wounded in action, um, they deserve the utmost respect and appreciation. So y'all thank a serviceman or woman when you do see one, if you do see one. I know it's uh, crazy times right now, but once again, the military being called on to to help in this current crisis. That segment was proudly brought to you by Vortex Wear. That's right, Vortex Optics now has a lineup of of casual wear, and of course, they've always had a great lineup of original T-shirts, plus the hoodies, caps, all that great stuff. You can find it all at vortexoptics.com, and you'll get 20% off at checkout on all apparel when you use my promo code LONESTAR20. That's right, LONESTAR20. Save you 20%. Um, man, unfortunately, we got to go. We are flat out of time. Thanks to our guest today, Corporal Rokel. Uh, we'll be back um, same time, same place next week with Britt Longoria, who was stranded in Cameroon while on the Lord Derby Eland hunt of a lifetime. Couldn't get back to the States for over two weeks. A crazy story. Amid the coronavirus pandemic, we'll hear all about that. Plus, check in with DSC Executive Director Corey Mason. Uh, so, that's what's on the docket for next week. Thanks to all of our sponsors for making this show possible. Thanks to you, the listener, for being a part of the Lone Star Outdoors Show. Until next time, I'm Cable Smith saying, Y'all have a great week in the outdoors. We're only here for a little while. It's beautiful.